have out your Bible, something to take some notes with. Uh, part four of this series we're calling Out on the Water. And as I say every week, uh, the Victory Harvest Church app is a great place to take your notes. If you like a fill-in-the-blank version, all of the verses and the points that we will reference today are in there as well. Uh, if you like paper and pen, though, grab those out if you want uh, to take your own notes. Or if you want to just doodle, you can grab out some paper. All right, so that's there for you guys. Uh, we've been in this series talking about uh, the different boat stories in Scripture. We figured it's Labor Day, September, boat season, people out on the water, leisure, fun. And then we got into it and we realized none of the stories about boats are fun. None of them are leisure in the Bible. Uh, none of them are sun and family. and th- It's all chaos and tragedy and heartache. And so we've been talking about that for a few weeks. Uh, we're going to conclude the story today. Uh, with the story of Jonah and the storm that he faced on a boat. I'm excited uh, to look at this story. Most of you know how Jonah was called to preach judgment uh, to the Ninevites and repentance. And instead of going to Nineveh, he gets on a ship and he goes the opposite direction from God's will. And then, of course, like all of our boat stories so far, he gets a storm, gets thrown overboard, gets swallowed by a fish, and then eventually he does what God told him to do. And then at the end of the book, he misses the point entirely. It's a great story, everybody. So we're going to begin Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, just four chapters in this very short book. So you probably read it uh, before like you get to your car today, like you could read the whole thing. But Lord came, gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket. He went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So, of course, as you know the story, he decides, I'm not going to follow God's will. Not only does he decide that, he's like, I'm going to do exactly the opposite and try to run from the presence of God. Which is kind of laughable on the face of it, right? Like run from the will of God, just escape from it, like leave the universe. I don't know, run from the will of God. A few lessons we learn here from Jonah. I want you guys to jot these down if you're taking notes. First one we learn that God uses in our own life as well. God will oftentimes use our calling to grow us. He uses calling that he gives to grow us. The first thing we understand is, why did Jonah not want to preach to the Ninevites? Like, why did he hate them so much that he doesn't want to bring God's word to them? Why does he not want to go to the city of Nineveh? And there's a reason for it. So the city of Nineveh, it's the capital of the Assyrians at the time. They are known for their intense cruelty. These are the most barbaric people of the time. And not only that, they're one of the first cultures to be marked by this idea of the military and overtaking the entire world, conquering all of the people groups, destroying everything. But really, honestly, they were the terrorists of their day. And so you read about these Assyrians, the things they would do to the people that they conquered, the gruesome acts of torture and just the thing. We don't have to go into it to understand how gruesome it was of the things that they did. And so Jonah knows about these people. He knows about the things that they do. If you watch the VeggieTales one, they stop people with fishes, right? That's what they do. So multiply that by like 10, all right? It's, just, it's bad back now. So they are, they are the known terrorists of the day. They literally do torture tactics, and so their vile, horrible deeds come up before God. This is why they're, they're coming up before the Lord's like, something has to do. I can't deal with this any. I can't have them doing this. I can't have this happening. Something has to change. Something has to break. It's why he sends the prophet Jonah to the people of Nineveh. Interestingly enough, one of the first cultures to engage in psychological warfare. And so what they would do is they would inscribe tablets with pictures of the things that they would do to other people groups. They 
put these on tablets and they would send them with messengers ahead of the army to the cities that they were going to attack. And they would tell them, unless you surrender, this is what will happen to you. And the people see them and they freak out. And so then the army arrives and they have a chance. And if they don't surrender, all of these gruesome and vile things happen to them. And so Jonah has a pretty good reason to really hate these people. They are a stain on planet earth. They are a terrible, vile, sinful, horrible people who do horrible things to the people around them. But why Jonah doesn't want to go, we actually find out in chapter 4 of this story. We're going to skip ahead to the end. Jonah complains to the Lord at the very end, and we find out why it is. Because he hates them because of how evil and vile, but the reason he doesn't want to go, he complained to the Lord and said, Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away. God has chosen not to destroy the Ninevites. And Jonah reveals why he didn't go in the first. This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Amen, Jonah. You're just preaching in the thing. You are eager. He's like saying it like it's a bad thing to God. You understand this? He's like, I knew you were so merciful. I knew you were so amazing. Unfailing love. How could you, God? You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Somebody just say amen right there. So just, watch this. So just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted won't happen, which was doomsday and judgment. If it won't happen, I would rather die. Now that seems extreme, right? That just seems a little bit too far. But I just was wondering, and as I was writing this this weekend, I was wondering how many of us here today have some like people hatred stored up inside of us. Like just got some things. We got people who have wronged us and who have hated us and who have done things that have made our lives miserable and done things. And in our heart of hearts, we kind of wish that we would rather be dead than see God's blessing on their life. Now, we would never say it, but we have thought it, everybody. Come on, we're just going to air some things out. We have had this in it. We're like, I don't want mercy for them. And I don't want, or God, you can save them, but you better not bless them. Like we have prayed that prayer. Like, I don't mind if you're salvation. Fine, that's for everybody. But you better not have the blessing in their life, God. Because I would just, I just, we don't want to see God's grace extended to them. Jonah didn't have any trouble pronouncing judgment. God came and said, go pronounce judgment on Nineveh. On Nineveh. And Jonah would have been on the first boat and our first camel after Nineveh. He's like the first person at the door to pronounce judgment and woe. But he says, the reason I don't want to go is because I know that God is a merciful. Jonah's kind of a shrewd kind of guy. Like, I don't know if you've realized this, but he's probably thinking like, God, why don't you just go strike them? Like, why do you got to send a warning? Like, why not just hit them, God? Like, why send? He's probably thinking, God, if you're going to send a warning, it probably means that you're giving an option for repentance. Like, if I have to go, and so Jonah's like, I'm not going to give them that option. I hope God just strikes them down. And so he hates them so much. He wants them to not experience the mercy, but instead experience the judgment of God. He'd rather die. And he goes 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, goes west when literally God calls him east. Jonah hates these people so much, he would do the opposite of what God called him to do. Some of us have some people hatred stored up inside of us. And we have explained it away and explained it away until one day God shows up and like, you know what? I have a perfect mission for you. I just, I got the perfect, I just want you to know the Holy Spirit will sometimes, from time to time, call you to do things like this. Jot it down this way if you're taking notes. God calls us to do hard things. Like the life of following Christ is not an easy kind of life. It's not like I get up here and tell you guys, this is going to be one of the easiest things you know. The life of following Christ is a difficult life. One of the principles you will learn is that the richest parts of life and the hardest parts of life 
are always attached to people. Always. God uses our calling to grow us. This is a hard moment in Jonah's life. This is a a hard time to preach repentance and judgment to a group of people that he reviles. And I just wonder if there are people in your life that have worked against you. That have said hateful things about you. That have actively hated you and tried to ruin things. I'm not talking about those people who you just don't really know that much about. Or who like called you a name 25 years ago. I'm talking about people who are actively trying to destroy you. There are people in your life and brought pain into it. I'm just wondering how we're processing all of that. Like, like what is it doing to our insights? Like what are we, what are we holding against them? Do we actually want God's best for their life? Because the richest part and the hardest part always attached to people. Because people, I don't know if you've noticed it, but people are a pain in the butt. I just don't know if you like, like, we'll just like, I, I don't know if you've seen it. People are a pain and they will cause you some of the greatest heartache you will ever experience. And oftentimes from people who are closest to you. People who are the closest, the richest and the hardest parts often are intertwined because it's always people. And you can't escape it as a Christian because you're called to it. Watch this in Mark Chapter 16, Jesus gave us this message. Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Go everywhere and tell the good news to everyone. We talk about this all of the time because this is the mission of our church. Listen, our church is not here to make you feel good. I don't know if you know that or not. Like, that's not why we exist. We're not a Christian club for Christians to come to. We are on a search and rescue mission to find the lost, to preach the gospel, to see them saved. It says, go everywhere and tell everyone about the gospel that Jesus died that anyone could be saved. But we like to chop it up a little bit and be like, everybody but them, oh God. Everybody but the Preach the gospel to everyone. Everyone. Because listen to me, again, we're not here just hold on until Jesus comes back. We got ours, and so who cares about the rest of the world? No, there is a gospel to preach. There are souls to win. There is a heaven to gain, and there is a hell to pay for sin. We have been called to find those that we can preach the gospel to. To everyone. It's a reality. we got to stay focused on that. And just like Jonah, God will show up sometimes and say, get up and go. Get up and go. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your relational circle. Get out of your whatever you think and go to the people I've called you to. And look, we all like to be called to people who look like us, talk like us, act like us, laugh like us, do things like us. But God will often call you to the people and they are just as worthy of salvation. People who don't look like us, talk like us, vote like us. Come on, somebody act like us, talk like us. We are still called to preach the gospel. But we like our own special interests. We like our own things. And so we say, well, they've done this to me and they've had this hatred. They things. You and I are called to reach those people because the gospel is for all. Jesus died so that all would hear. God calls us to do hard things. Difficult things. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you've heard it said. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And we're like, that's good preaching, Jesus. That right there, that's what I... I can preach all by love. Yes, I can love the people that like me. I can preach fire, hell, judgment, and brimstone on the people that have done wrong. I'm really good at that. I would love to be able to do that. I can, I, yes, I can call down plagues on the people. But he says, but I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who are actively trying to ruin your life. And don't like the don't pray like something falls on their head. Don't pray they like drive off a bridge. Pray them for the people for God's blessing on their life. God calls us to hard things. I just want you to know you're not going to be able to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit because this is not natural. 
I don't know if you just feel like, well, I just, I just already feel like that. I just pray for the people that, hey, I don't know who you are, but get your halo and just shine it. And I'm just saying, this, is, this takes the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Like, I am so thankful for the power God brings us because it enables us to live this kind of a life. To pray for those who hate us. Philippians 2 says this in verse 13. It says, God is working in you. I don't know if you get too high and mighty. It is God on the inside giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I'm so grateful that God gives you. He gives you both the power and the desire. Now, the problem with that is so many times we rely on the power, but we don't like the desire part of this. Because we don't even desire to desire what God wants us to do. Like we don't even have like the want to of the thing. Like I don't even want to want to do the thing that God has called me. I don't even want to want to preach to those people. I don't even want to want to pray for them. That he would give us the desire to be. So you're sitting there thinking like I'm so far removed. I don't want to want to want to want to even pray for that person who did this to me. And it's probably the person in your mind right now. I don't even want to want to. I don't want the Ninevites to get saved. I don't want to preach to them. I don't want to go there. I don't want to give them even a shot at this is what Jonah's saying. And so instead of allowing God to work on the inside of him, Jonah runs, gets in a ship. The Bible says he bought a ticket. He is financially invested in running from God. That'll preach to somebody all there right there. He does not want God's work or his plan. So we find in verse 4, watch this. We find Jonah. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea. So Jonah's in his boat. He's headed the wrong way. God hurls a wind, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Number two, I want you to see this. God uses storms to direct us. There are times in our life that God can use storms to direct us. So we look at the text in the Old Testament in verse 4. The Bible says, the wind of the Lord. This is an interesting part of the story. The Bible says, a wind sent by the Lord is what causes the storm. So oftentimes we focus only on the storms and we don't ask the why or how the storm started. We don't think what caused the storm. And in this situation, it's God. In this particular story, God sends the storm that breaks up Jonah's mission to derail God's plan for his life. The Bible says the Holy Spirit guides us, leads us, directs us. But oftentimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you and I are stubborn people. I don't know if you've like come to that realization in life. Or maybe your spouse is a stubborn person. That's what you guys are just thinking. Like we are stubborn people. And so because we have this thing on the inside of us, our fleshly nature, we oftentimes push back against anything that would be difficult or anything that would kind of not line up with what we want. We don't want to let that go. We don't want to forgive that. We don't want to preach that. We don't want to minister to people that have hurt us. And so the Holy Spirit will sometimes come and blow us back on track. Like, we'll push against God. In fact, jot it down this way if you're taking notes. Some storms are meant to blow you off course. They're sent by the enemy. But some storms blow you back. And it is a hard truth to understand that maybe sometimes we have pushed against and pushed against this side. Because we just didn't like it when Jesus said, pray for your enemies. We just didn't think it was for this season of life that he said, be good to those who persecute you. We just didn't like the way it was worded. And so we pushed against it. Some storms blow you out of God's will. Some storms blow you back. Sometimes when we're off track, we just got to be men and women of the Holy Spirit that have discernment, understand the voice that says it doesn't always mean adversity is an attack of the devil. We have to have the leading of the Holy Spirit discern. Is this something blowing me away from God's will or is it blowing me back? Is this something meant to put me back on track? And I just wonder how many of us spend time praying against the very thing God sent to put us back on track. Sometimes we inadvertently are fighting the Lord because we're not keeping in step, like Paul said, in step with the Holy Spirit. 
I tell you guys love that today. Verse 5, we find out the sailors are in this thing too, right? So watch this. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods. So they're like shouting out things while they're throwing their cargo overboard to lighten the ship. So the sailors are freaking out. They're trying to do, but all the while Jonah was asleep down in the hold. You know, I want to confront something for just a moment. This is a prevalent thought that I think has grown stronger and stronger. And that is this idea that your decisions don't have any consequences. That the things that you do, that you make all of your decisions in a vacuum. That everything that you do, good or bad, that it doesn't affect anybody around you. This lie that says that the decisions that you make don't have any weight. And honestly, it's a self-serving theology. It's this false theology that tries to tell us there are no consequences for the choice that we make. Do what feels good, sleep with who you want, be who you want, do the things you want to do, and it won't affect anybody but yourself. And so we have this inward focus. I heard an old preacher say one time, you make your decisions and your decisions make you. And I think sometimes we just have to have, honestly, a come to Jesus meeting where we come to the conclusion that I have made the choices I have made. Where you are sitting right now, you are the sum total of the choices you've made. But not only for you, the effect that it has. Because the lie is that you can do what you want, say what you want, do anything you want, decide what you want, and it won't affect anybody. There's no weight to it. But the truth of the fact is that you are affecting not only your life, not only the people that you love, sometimes the people you don't love, sometimes the people you don't even care about, you are affecting in their life. And so the devil wants you to believe the lie that what you do doesn't impact anybody but you, that there's no consequences. We see Jonah's decisions are severely impacting the sailors. These sailors are running around losing their minds, throwing their stuff overboard. And all the while he's on a boat he's not supposed to be on, surrounded by people that aren't supposed to be in his life. And yet while he is destroying the lives of the people around him, Jonah is asleep. Ask yourself this question today. Are you asleep to the storms you're causing others? This is step on every toe in the building today. We'll just get you guys. You'll like me more next week, I promise. All right? I just think your decisions are impacting the people around you. I think we have to come to grips. Every good, every bad decision has weight. It has weight. It impacts the people that we care about. Sometimes the people we don't care about. Every decision has fallout and there are consequences. So we have these sailors throwing their own stuff. Their own goods overboard. Trying to save their life because Jonah is out of God's will. Watch this in verse 11. We skip down. The captain goes and finds Jonah. <laughs> He's like, what's this one guy sleeping? And since the storm's getting worse, they ask Jonah. They find him. They get him up. They get him praying. They cast lots. They find out it's his fault. And they're like, what should we do to make this thing stop? And he says, throw me into the sea, Jonah said. Throw me in and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. And so the sailors picked up Jonah, threw him overboard into the raging sea. And it says the storm stopped at once. I want to pause for a minute and shift just for a second from Jonah's perspective to the sailors. And understand a couple of things about relationships in your life, all right? Just, this is just free today, all right? Sailors threw Jonah overboard and the storm stopped at once. Like you read this, like the minute he hits the water, like it's all calm and like the storm just comes to you. Which I think begs the question for all of us in our life, in our purpose is who are you called to and who are you called with? I think we have to answer, if we're going to answer calls of purpose, if we're going to say every Christian has a calling of God to do, everybody has a thing, and I will die on that hill, that everybody has a purpose God has placed them on this planet for, you've got to ask yourself, at some point, ask the question, who am I called to, 
And who am I called with? All of us are called to someone. See, Jonah's called to preach salvation to the 150,000 people who live in the Assyrian capital. That is his calling. He's called to do this thing. And that was his delegation from the Lord. It's what he's supposed to be doing. And he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Who are you called to? But then the bigger question is, who are you called with? Second Timothy says, call on the name of the Lord alongside with those who call on his name. Pursue faith and love and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. We're supposed to take this journey with specific people. And sometimes we get the wrong people in the boat. We talked about this last week. We talked about this idea that the disciples left the shore, leaving the people on the shore and took Jesus in the boat. But too often we get it wrong. Sometimes we just get the wrong people in the boats. We have people that are called to, and then that's our purpose, our destiny. What God has called us to do, it's who God has called us to reach, but then there's people we're called with. Sorry, I'm going to drink this until my throat starts scratching. There are people we are called with, and when we get it wrong is when chaos comes into our lives. When we get this wrong, who are you called with? Let me ask it to you this way. Who do you need to throw out of your boat to get peace? I'm going to think on that for a couple of seconds. You guys just think. Because the moment Jonah left, peace came. Now listen to me. This doesn't make Jonah a horrible person. This doesn't reflect at all. He's just in the wrong place. Because listen, a repentant Jonah is salvation to the Ninevites. But a disobedient Jonah is death to the sailors. This idea that same person, wrong place, wrong relationship. You've got to know the people that you're supposed to be connected to. And some of you have absolute chaos in your life and you're doing everything you can to fight and to pray and to fight the devil. You are one person eliminated from your life away from peace. Away from chaos. Problem is we either don't have the eyes of the spirit to determine who it is or we don't have the guts to make the decision. They throw Jonah out of this boat. You got to get off of social media. You got to get off of whatever thing. You got to silence the cell phone. You got to get that person out of your life. You have to say, look, I have to draw a boundary. I can't have your chaos. I can't have your comments. I can't have you affecting my life anymore. We're called to preach the gospel. But who is in the boat is so important to whether or not you reach your destination. And too many times we have chaos in our lives. We got to say, look, I'm drawing this boundary on my life. I'm drawing this. I can't have that. I know your blood, but I, we just can't come to Thanksgiving because it's just too ditch. It's going to be too much. It's too much chaos. I can't have that because I'm trying to do what God has called me to do. We got to have one person out of the boat. Just no peace. Back to Jonah. We go to verse 12. He says, throw me into the sea and it'll be calm because I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. There's half of repentance begun here. You see this? Like there's half of this. It's a very important key you have to see here. Jonah owns his mistake. He knows that what he did, he probably knew all the way to Tarshish. He knows this whole story, what his mistake is. We got half a repentance from Jonah. Stop thinking. So I just want to kind of draw this out of this. So stop blaming everybody else in your life, right, for the things that you have done. That's the first thing. Weight of the consequences. Stop blaming people. Like, own what you can own. You can't own everybody's fallout. Let me give you a little bit of just pastoral wisdom today, all right? You can't own everybody else's mistake, but you can't own what you have done. You can't affect what happens to you, but you can decide how you respond. You can own what you have done. So don't go around trying to like own everybody else's decisions and trying to put, but you better not pass the buck and be like, well, you just don't know why I had to do this. And I just, you just don't understand what's in my life. And you just don't get why I would have to do it. Don't ruin a good apology with an excuse. Come on, somebody. Just say, I'm sorry. I think we can all grow in that area, right? Like I messed up. Like that was on me. I take, like it's my fault. I did it and I was wrong. But he's not completely repentant here. Jonah owns his mistake. 
But we see here, he's not like, and also turn this boat around and go to Nineveh because I got to preach some gospel to these people. He's not like, I know it was my mistake, but turn around because I've got to go to Nineveh. He's like, throw me in the water and you'll have peace. Jonah's got a death wish. Jonah's actually reflecting what he tells us a couple of chapters later. I would rather die than go preach this gospel. I would rather die. He's like set up. I would rather die than see these people find salvation and forgiveness. So he's like, I'm not ready to follow the will of God. I'm ready to take ownership for what I've done, but I'm not ready to make it right. And so he says, toss me overboard. So the guys chuck him overboard. And he's got this whole plan about how he's going to take his own life. But God messes it all up. Come on, somebody. Verse 17. He arranged, God arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah's inside the fish for three days and three nights. Number three, you could write this point a hundred different ways. But I want you to know, when you are running from God, God uses fish to save us. Jot that down in your notes, everybody. You can use, God can use anything. Now, I know a lot of people debate about, well, how could a fish swallow Jonah or a whale? It's got too small of an esophagus and it couldn't do the thing. Well, the Bible doesn't say a whale. It says a fish. So we don't know exactly what kind of a fish that God sent or prepared to swallow Jonah. But I heard a story about a little girl who was in class one day learning about uh, different animals. And they got to whales and she piped up, raised her hand and said, I know all about whales. In fact, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And he was in that thing for three days and the teacher wasn't a believer. And so she said, no, it's not possible. I just can't happen like that. I'll just actually, I'll prove to you how there's no way that could have happened. Little girl was adamant, like, no, it happened. I know Jonah was in that fish for three days. I know it. And I'll prove it to you. When I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And that teacher saw her chance to strike, right? She like leaned over and said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? Little girl said, that's okay. Then you can ask him. Come on. to me. There's some things in scripture you cannot explain hundred percent. There are some things that happen. Now you do quick research. There are certain types of, have the ability to swallow a human. You can go down every rabbit trail you want to go. Everyone debates how he stayed alive. It's obviously a miracle. When God is involved, you can throw out the natural things. God can do what he wants to do. I'm not trying to explain to you how it happened. I'm just telling you that it did. That Jonah spends these three days. And if this is what trips you up, by the way, you got bigger problems than me. Because Jesus himself said it. Watch this in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said, like Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. So will the son of man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus didn't say, now figuratively speaking, there might have been somebody who might have smelled like a fish. And there might have been some animal. He said, no, he was in the fish for three days and three nights. So if you don't like it, you go take it up with Jesus, not me, all right? I don't know how it happened. I'm just telling you that it did. Jonah's in this thing for three days and three nights. What I want you to see today, though, is your salvation isn't as fun as you might think it is when you are running from God. Like this whole thing, it might not be as fun because living in the belly of a fish for three days, it's not like Pinocchio and Geppetto, right? Like hanging out in the whale, like having a good time. Like this is disgusting. Like the belly of the fish is surrounding Jonah. If you're claustrophobic, you're done. Like you're just, that's it, right? Three days, I'm, I'm out. I'm just, this, take me now, Lord. Like doesn't matter how big this fish is, belly is full of like, I don't know the condition of the contents, like disgusting, vile, acid eating his clothes, all of these things. Who knows the condition? It's this humbling experience to realize you are not in charge of your life. I don't know what your life looks like, but you have an experience like this. It will quickly remind you that you're not in charge, that you are not the God of this universe. This is a moment like Christ drew the analogy, right? Of Jonah in the belly of the fish is like Jesus in the belly of the earth. Jesus died so he could be raised back to life. Romans says we also die so we can be raised to new life in him. Listen to me. The Christian life is not about you living out all of your dreams and all of your plans. 
It's about dying to your agenda, dying to the things that you want, dying to the things that were part of your fleshly nature so you can be raised to new life in Christ and then be humble enough to do what he's asked you to do. That's what our salvation is, that we've been raised to new life. Jonah had a fish come to rescue him. So I just wonder, what does your fish look like today? I don't know what it might look like. I bet there's some situations, if you're running from God, There's some situations you have found yourself caught in that have swallowed you up. And I bet it is gross, everybody. I bet it's uncomfortable. I bet it stinks. I bet it's full of acid. And you're thinking, God has forsaken me. Maybe it's your fish. Maybe it's your moment. Maybe that relationship or that job or that ministry. Maybe that moment you feel stuck is God trying to get your attention. Because we think, well, God would never take something that drastic. Jonah's in there three days and three nights. I think God could take it to the extreme if he wanted to. What's your fish look like? It's easy for all of us to get to this place in life where we say, man, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll give up anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll do, I'll do anything. Lord. I'll give my life to you, but I won't do that. I won't do that. I won't go there. I won't reach them. I won't preach that. And the Lord says, why don't you spend a little time in the fish? Just, I tell you guys love that. We'll get your perspective right. That's what he says. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Watch this. So Jonah prays to the Lord his God from inside the fish. In verse 7, his life is slipping away. And he says, and I remembered the Lord. Now, it took Jonah three days and three nights to pray, which is just ridiculous in my mind. Like, I'm praying before I hit the water, right, everybody? Like, I'm just... Three days and three nights, this stubborn prophet has decided, like, I would rather die. So three days later, he finally says, I remembered the Lord. And we can all laugh at Jonah. Some of you have been in a fish for years. Come on, somebody. Like, you've just been... Sometimes we have to get back to our salvation and realize the mercy that has been shown to us. Sometimes we have to get our alignment right and realize we're no better than the people of Nineveh. Realize that we also spin on God's salvation and God's mercy and God's grace. We also rely on that. And when he realized that, when he got to the place of, I'm no better than the Ninevites, that I'm thankful for the mercy of God and I'm thankful that I too am saved by grace. That I remember the Lord calling on the Lord in a place of remembrance and repentance. Watch this. God said, they spit him out. On the beach. We remember my salvation comes from God alone. I rely on the same grace that God has called me to extend. Bible says God told that fish to spit him out onto the beach. And then the very next verse, verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. It's like we reset the story, right? It's just forget all that happened. Forget you in the fish. God comes to know, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Because God does not relent. God's not like coming. He's not like, okay, you've been through the fire. Okay, you've been through the storm. Okay, you came through the fish. Okay, you did all those things. So, okay, you don't have to do what I asked you to do. Like you feel like, I'm going to let you be pouty face. I'm going to let you just go and like do. You don't have to. You, you went through the fire. You don't have to preach. You went through the thing. You don't have to storm. You, know, you don't have to get out of your comfort zone. No, God is like, are you ready now? Because I got more fish, right? Like I got more like things. We got to. We kind of do this, but I'm just saying, you don't get to control it all. And God does not relent in the calling he has. He still has a purpose. He still has a thing. And you might have to come through the fish, but he's waiting there a second time to say, are you ready to do what I asked you to do? Are you ready to fulfill the purpose of God? You don't get to have your own way. But the thing that's so amazing about our God is he keeps spitting us out on the beaches. Giving us second chances, third chance, some of you 50th chances to do what he has called you to do. And this time, I like how it words this, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. Number four, as we close, I want you to know God uses our obedience 
to save others. That calling he's using to grow us, that people he's called us to, it's not all about you. It's about the people God has called you to reach. He has a purpose for you, not so you can be great, but that he can be shown great and preached to people. That salvation can come to everyone. So this time Jonah decides, begrudgingly, he goes and he preaches. And he preaches hellfire and brimstone. I'd love to hear Jonah preach. It just calls out judgment on the city of Nineveh. Says three days he walks across this city and the Ninevites hear the words of Jonah. And they fulfill the nightmare of Jonah. It says the Ninevites cry out and repent. And even the king says, put on sackcloth and ashes. Let's cry out that maybe God will forgive us. I don't even know if Jonah gave them the option, but they hear what he's saying and they decide, let's cry out to God. I got a feeling Jonah was like wording his sermons. Like it's all judgment. It's all hellfire. Run for your lives. And they heard this and yet they cried out for mercy from God. They cried out and that God would spare their lives. And guess what? The Lord is merciful. He relents of the disaster that he sent Jonah to preach. And Jonah just can't stand it. He just can't. It's staggering. He's like less than a week from being inside the fish and realizing that he relies on the salvation and the mercy of God and crying out for mercy from the Lord to going where he just loses his mind that God would extend that mercy to anyone else. He just he can't believe it's staggering how many times we withhold the grace of God. How many times we go to people that we hate or how many times we think of those and we withhold from them the same grace of God that we depend on. The same mercy that causes us to get up in the morning, the same mercy that has been extended and covers over a multitude of sin, the same blood that washes us clean and we will hold it back from others deciding that we are better than them. Listen, it's our job to take salvation to the world that so desperately needs it. And oftentimes God will call you to the people who are the ones that are against us to bring mercy, to bring grace. It's not the picture you probably have of God, by the way, if you're on the other side of this thing. Like you've probably been told if you follow religion that religion tells you God is mean or God's trying to get even with you. Religion will tell you that God's out to get you. No, Psalms 86, we're going to close with this verse. It says, Lord, no, you are compassionate And gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That you are God who abounds in love and faithfulness. The God of the Bible of mercy that relents in repentance of their sins. And I don't know where you are on your journey of faith today. I don't know how far you've run. I don't know where you find yourself. I just want you to know there is grace that is available to you. And it is the same grace that we all depend on. We all need Jesus. There's not a one of us in here that did it on our own. Not a one of us in here that was so good that God was like, well, you can come in. No, all of us need the redeeming and relationship and repentance and salvation and the blood to wash. All of us need that. And shame on us, church, if we ever shut the door in somebody else's face. And look, I don't care how far you've run. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey of faith. It doesn't matter. We serve a God of love and forgiveness who abounds in mercy. Abounds in faithfulness. Abounds in forgiveness. And maybe you've never known the Lord in your life. Maybe you've only heard God's trying to get even. I want you to know he loves you. Or maybe you've been running from him for years now. I want you to know it's not too late. That's the God that we serve. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I want to pray for you. Some of you, you've had incredible, painful relationship wounds. Some of you, you walked through some things. 
Some of you, maybe God has called you to the enemies that have tried to ruin your life and told you, I want you to preach to them. Some of you are in a hard place. I want to pray the Holy Spirit would give us guidance. And then I want to pray that he would give us the strength to do what he's called us to do. But first, there are some of you here today and you're far from God. Don't know how you got there. I don't know what you did. Honestly, it doesn't even matter. I just want you to know that God loves you. And maybe you've been sold the lie that all he wants to do is judge you or get even with you. That he's just waiting to punish you. He can't wait to get you. And that is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. I want you to know he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And that right now, heaven's arms are spread open wide. He is waiting for you. Yet he still wants you. I think that can be hard for some people to hear because all their life they've heard that nobody wants you. They've heard that nobody loves you. They've heard that not even God could love a person. Listen to me. He loves you and he wants you. And his mercy can still reach you. You may have sold yourself on the lie that I'm just too far gone. That there's no way God could. His mercy can reach you in this moment. And it's never too late. God still has purpose for your life. So right now, if you say that's me. He said, I don't know about anybody else around me. But right now, I know that I've got to make some things right with God. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not making you come to the front. I'm not in this thing to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. In our church, we'll pray this prayer out loud with you, but you've got to mean it. You've got to surrender. You've got to make a decision. And so right now, I'm going to give you the words. Our church will pray, but if you say that's me, I want to decide. I want to change the course of my life. I want to give myself to Jesus and I want him to be Lord. I'm tired of running from him. Just pray this with us. Come on, church. Say, Jesus, save me. I repent of all of my sin. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life. Father, right now, I pray for the people of our church. God, thank you that all of us have a destiny that we are connected to. No matter the pain that we experience, no matter the things that we walk through, God, you have called us to reach people with the gospel. And Lord, I pray, continue to give us the strength to love those who hate us. God, give us the strength to reach out to those who persecute us, to pray God's best on those who have reviled us, to pray. God, give us strength to do it because we can't do it on our own. None of us are good. None of us are strong enough. None of us, God, could do this thing. But we pray, God, encourage us in our lives. Holy Spirit, direct us to the people. And God, give us the strength to pray the prayers that are supernatural. At the same time, God, I pray that we would have the leading of the Holy Spirit. That we would see if there are those around us that we've let influence our lives that we need to get out of our boat. That have caused chaos and destruction and honestly derailed us from the calling God has on our lives. Give us the eyes to see, Lord. And give us the strength to make the decision. And then as we continue, Father, to seek out those you've called us to. To listen to the word of the Lord. To fulfill the calling you have on our lives. Give us the strength to always see with the eyes of the Spirit. To know that we have been called to shine as stars in this universe that you've called us, Lord, to rise above the persecution, to rise above the hatred, to rise above the things done to us, to see everyone as an opportunity to share the gospel. 
that you have called us to do a hard thing, but as people of God, we say yes. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. We thank you again for all that you've done. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what he's done today?